uh, signs are designed to communicate. If a sign doesn't communicate something, it's useless. Or worse, if it communicates something else, it's often worse than useless. Uh, Here are some examples of signs that don't quite communicate what they were intended. Diesel, comma, fried chicken. I'm not sure that you'd want diesel fried chicken. That wouldn't taste very nice. Uh, Or this one. I think it's saying both that the toilet is in that direction and you should stay in your car till you get there. Not not that the car is the toilet. Uh, Or this one. Don't let worries kill you. Let the church help with your worries. Not don't let the church help kill you. Uh, Oh, I like this one. Wash and vacuum senior citizens. Maybe there's some senior citizens who need a wash and vacuum. I don't know. Oh, I like this one. This is my favourite. Eat here and get gas. So gas is also petrol, so you know gas is what you get when you eat food that doesn't agree with you. So, uh, oh, here's one. Babies and children, buy two, get three free. Uh, so I think it's talking about the shop is called Babies and Children and the things you buy from that shop, there's a sale on them. But I don't think it means if you buy two babies you get three children free or something like that. When a sign isn't clear, you end up focusing on the sign itself instead of the message or what the sign points to. It's possible to see the sign but to get the message wrong, to focus on the sign rather than what it's pointing to. Uh, And it's the same thing with Jesus and the signs that he's doing. People lose sight of Jesus because they're so preoccupied, so focused on the miracles, with the show, Uh, with the wine or the free food or the healed body. One of the things that's unusual about John's Gospel compared to the others is that it uses a special word for Jesus, miracles. It's the word sign. Uh, It's often translated as miraculous sign or something like that, uh, but it's just the word sign. And John's point is a sign communicates something. It, It signifies something. Jesus did miracles not just as party tricks or to help people but to point to who he was and what he'd come to do. And even here, right at the beginning of the journey, the signposts point to the end. They point to his death and resurrection because that's where Jesus' identity, where his mission are seen at their most obvious. That's the hour that most clearly shows Jesus' glory, shows his power and majesty. And so all the signs point towards that. So let's begin our journey and keep an eye on the signs, but never lose sight of what they point to, the destination. Chapter 2, Jesus is back in his home district of Galilee. He's in Cana, he's been invited to a wedding uh, and his mum is there and his brothers as well and even the disciples. But partway through the celebrations, the unthinkable happens, the wine runs out. It's very embarrassing for the bridegroom and maybe for Jesus' mum, maybe she's part of the organising, uh, part of the family who's organising things. 
Uh, and so verse 3, she nudges Jesus and says, they've got no more wine. <clears throat> she tells Jesus because, I guess, she knows he can do something about it. And at first sight, Jesus' answer is a little confusing. Uh, verse 4, he more or less says, well, what's that got to do with me? And then he says, my time has not yet come. Uh, it's literally my hour has not yet come. The journey has just begun. The alarm is set. It's not going off for a while. It's not time for action yet. It's like you've just started on your holidays and you're driving to Queensland and there's 900 kilometres to go. But before you get to Hornsby, the kids are saying, are we there yet? Is it much longer? Are we there yet? And your answer is no, it's not time yet. The hour hasn't come. You see, Jesus knows where the journey is headed. And as the days and weeks pass, he has to keep saying, no, it's not time yet, it's not time yet. Uh, So in chapter 5, verse 28 of John, he says, don't be amazed at this, for a time is coming, literally an hour is coming, when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. And a bit further on in chapter 7, at that time they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time, his hour, had not yet come. But when we get to chapter 12, we see that it's finally time. The alarm clock goes off. Chapter 12, verse 23, Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey and he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And a bit further on in chapter 13, it was just before the Passover, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. The the hour Jesus talks about is his death and resurrection. That's the end of the journey. But here in chapter 2, the journey's just beginning and so he says it's not time yet. Or is it? Because in verse 6 we see Jesus doing something. It may not be time for his death, but it's time enough for a signpost that points towards the end. So have a look at verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Six jars, they're nearly the size of 40-gallon drums. And John makes sure that we notice that it's not just any sort of water, but water that the Jews used for ceremonial washing. And the Jews were passionate about it. They would wash first thing in the morning. They would wash before a meal. They'd wash after a meal. They'd wash as they walked into the temple. They'd wash as a sign of being clean before God. And Jesus says, fill those jars with water. Servants fill them to the brim. Six stone jars that represent the way they think they get clean before God. Well, and what happens? The servants draw some out, fill up the jugs, they take it to the master of ceremonies and he tastes it. And at some point, it's transformed, it's improved. The old is gone and it's changed into fine wine. And the story finishes in verse 11. 
This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. It's an amazing miracle. Uh, it shows how powerful Jesus is, that he's, he's king over creation. But remember it's a sign, it's not just a miracle. And so we make a mistake if we focus on the sign rather than what it points to. And we're told it's the first sign uh, and so there's more to come. And they all point to who Jesus is. They point forward to what he came to do. And if we're looking, there are a few hints to help us understand what it all means. Firstly, the water jars are not just any jar. They're those that are used for Jewish purification. And it's like Jesus is saying, use those jars. You won't need them anymore because now I'm here to purify you. And then there's also the only comment attached to this miracle. All the other signs that follow have Jesus preaching or or teaching, explaining how the sign connects to him. But here there's only one comment. Uh, The only comment is from the master of the banquet. He doesn't even realise what's happened. He doesn't know that there's been a miracle. But he tastes Jesus' wine and he says to the bridegroom, you have saved the best until last. This wine is better than anything else that's been served before. And the new wine is a sign that points to something that is coming, something that will replace the old way of washing away sin. If we go looking in our Old Testament, we we see that the Jews were waiting for God to bring in his new kingdom, a new kingdom of justice, one that replaced the old broken way of doing things. Like Isaiah chapter 25, for example, God promises... On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare, will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth the Lord has spoken. God had promised to send a Messiah who would bring a banquet of rich food and the finest of wine. And here's Jesus bringing the best wine. And do you notice what else God promises there? To swallow up death forever. To remove its sting. And here's Jesus bringing new fine wine which is a pointer towards that promise a promise fulfilled at the cross when Jesus' spilled blood will pay for sin. Blood that deals with sin once for all time because God washes our sin away from the inside. And Jesus' way is far better than the old way of washing with water again and again, fill up the jar, empty it, fill up the jar and it never changes anything. Back in chapter 1, John the Baptist said, I came to wash, to baptise with water. But Jesus will baptise, the word just means wash. 
Jesus will wash with the Holy Spirit. He'll do it on the inside. He'll cleanse your conscience. Not just your skin. And so Jesus says, that hour hasn't come yet, but I will give you a sign that points towards it. Let's move on. That's only the first part of the chapter. Ritual washing has been replaced by Jesus because he's better. If he does that, then the whole system needs replacing and the temple is the the centre of that old system. Jesus brings new wine and he's also bringing a new temple. And that's the next section. He, he goes back to, oh, he goes to Jerusalem for Passover and he goes into the temple and it's full of markets. It's supposed to be a place where people meet God, a place of prayer, but it's become a place where people grab a bargain. And Jesus is furious and he drives out, not just any, any animals, he drives out the sacrificial animals and the sellers and the money changers because that whole system needs replacing. At which point the leaders arrive in verse 18, what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? In other words, show us your badge. Where's your warrant? Where's your authority to do this? Well, the ironic thing is Jesus has already showed them a sign a signpost that points towards the destination. He's repurposed these water purification jars and he's just cleared the temple, ready to replace it. And he answers them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. But Jesus said, it's taken 46 years to build it and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he'd spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he'd said. Then they believed the scripture and the words Jesus had spoken. His resurrection from the dead will be the sign that he has the authority to clear out the temple. They think he's talking about a building, but he's talking about his body. Two sorts of temple, building, body that replaces it. The building is corrupt and obsolete. It used to be where people and God would meet but now Jesus' body replaces it. Jesus' body, the word become flesh. It's Jesus' body where God meets people because in the body of Jesus God dwelt among us and it's in Jesus' broken body that he will pay the way for us to be be made children of God. That building emphasised the distance between a holy God and sinful people. There were walls and barriers, money changes, temple taxes. That was the building, but the body emphasises the closeness that in Jesus God dwells among us, that in Jesus God makes us his children. The building emphasised animal sacrifices repeated day after day that never truly dealt with sin. The body was destroyed as one perfect sacrifice that dealt with sin once. 
and then was raised again three days later, proving the victory over sin. Building body. And so by cleansing the temple, the building, by casting out the animals, Jesus is performing a sign. A sign that points away from the building and towards his own body, his death and resurrection. The new temple that replaces the old temple. Just like the sign with the wine points towards the wine of his blood and the new wine of his kingdom. So what do we do with these two signs? Well, the disciples had it right back there in verse 11. Jesus shows them the signpost and they don't focus on the sign, they point they look to what the sign points towards. They recognise Jesus, glory. And they put their faith in him. They trust the one who can get rid of the old way of being purified and bring in the new wine of his blood and the new wine of his kingdom that washes away sin for real. It's a question we ask each week as we work through John's Gospel. As you see the signs, will you trust the one they point to? Will you put your confidence in him to handle the forgiveness and the washing clean that you need and that I need? Or have you missed the signs? Maybe you're quite happy splashing around with water, doing your own thing, trying to wash yourself clean, trying to make yourself right with God by the things you do, coming to church or being nice to people, focusing on the building but missing out on the body. But it doesn't matter how many jars you have, how much water you have, how full your jars are, how often you wash with them. Being forgiven, being made a child of God is only something that he can do. You can't do it. He does it through the wine of the blood of his son. Or maybe you notice the signs but you don't look at the one they point to. Maybe you focus on the signposts. You focus on powerful miracles. I want some of that. I want the healing. I want the food. I want the wine. And you miss Jesus. Maybe you get hung up on whether Jesus actually made alcoholic wine and and whether Christians are allowed to drink or not. Or maybe you want to know when the water was changed into wine and how. Or maybe you get distracted by whether the cleansing in this temple happened once or twice and whether it happened at the beginning and the end or just the end. But but that's missing the destination and focusing on the signposts. The Jews made that mistake. Give us a sign, they said, but Jesus already had. They didn't notice. He was replacing the old temple, the temple with its endless animal sacrifices, with a new temple of his body, a new place where God would meet with people and deal with sin and wash them clean. So what difference does this make for us? Well, Jesus brings us new wine, a celebration of rejoicing in being in a relationship with God, 
Jesus brings us a new temple where we meet God. And that means that we live with confidence, doesn't it? We know that God is our Father. We know that our sins have been forgiven. It's not about us and what we do. It's about what Jesus, it's about Jesus and what he has done. That's in the present. But this also means, if we believe these things, that our eternity is sure because it's not based on our performance. It's an eternity John describes in another place as being like a wedding banquet. I wonder if he hadn't reflected on this wedding banquet. An eternal party where Jesus is the bridegroom and we, his people, his church, we're the bride. And a party where there will be the very finest of wine to drink. And in it Jesus is described as a lamb because he is the sacrifice who replaces all the old animal sacrifices. Revelation 19 verse 6 we read, Hallelujah for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. A few verses on in chapter 21, we read a little more about this wedding. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, that's God's people, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I had a, heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's our future and we can trust it because of who Jesus is. See the signs. Recognise the glory of God in Jesus. Live your life trusting him. Trust that looks like joy because your sins are washed and, and in hope that, uh, that guarantees an eternity like this that we've just read. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these truths. We thank you most of all for Jesus <coughs> uh, who washes, uh, who removes and gets rid of that old way of human religion that tries to earn our way to you. We can't do it. No matter how hard we try, we can never make it. But we thank you for Jesus who washes us clean who gives us the new wine of joy, of celebration that comes from forgiveness and knowing you. We pray that we might live with that joy and that hope and that sure certainty that comes from his work. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.